Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, uh, we certainly once again focus our attention on you. And in so doing, we focus our attention on your word, the word that you have given us and caused men to write under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit so that we could read and we can expound upon these words and allowing that same Holy Spirit to minister these words to us and to reveal them to us. So I pray this morning that our, our ears and our minds and our hearts would be open and receptive to the voice of the Spirit. And I pray that you would give me supernatural ability to enunciate and to communicate the words that you would have me that this day. I pray that you would help me to overcome any weaknesses that would, that would get in the way. And I pray that the words that come out of my mouth are the ones that you put in there. Pray in the name of Jesus, everybody said, Amen. Well, we're, we're entitled today, Overcoming Evil with Good. In a moment, and you have to just forgive me a little sniffle every now and then. I don't have COVID, I don't think. I'm just kidding. I don't. Uh, but I didn't intend this to be a series, but we're continuing with the thought of our being living stones. We began this several Sundays ago. And uh, because I keep seeing, you know, we talk about the kingdom and we talk about uh, 2 Corinthians seven fourteen. if my people. We talk about our, our country, our society, our culture, and uh, that we're all concerned about what's going on around us. But I, I do want to tell you, that the, the kingdom of God always prevails in the end. That doesn't give us license to do nothing. But the impact that in the community, the impact in the culture uh, is not through politicians. It's not through governments. Well, it is through a government, the government of God. But it's through God's people. It's God's people that, that influence a society. And so that's why we're continuing to look at this idea of our being living stones that make up the body of Christ. And today we look at, or we will begin today over the next few Sundays, looking at exhortations from the Apostle Paul regarding how we should conduct ourselves as followers of Jesus Christ. And if we're going to influence the culture around us now, most of us cannot influence the culture in China. You might, have an, you might have an impact there. You might have a seed, but real impact happens where you live. And so when we say conduct ourselves, we're talking about how we're going to, how do we going to behave and direct our lives in the community in which we live, work, and play. And that's where we are. Paul, as we'll read in a moment our text, Paul follows, follows a discourse on the functionality of the body of Christ with its various members with instructions about love and principles of getting along. Can't we all just get along? And this has been quoted so many times, and I think it was quoted a couple of weeks ago. But Jesus said, by this all men will know that you are 
my disciples, if you have love for one another. By this, now we think that all men will know that we're his disciples if we behave. It's important that we behave. We think that they'll know we're his disciples if we don't use bad words. And I don't want you using bad words. We think, and of course the list goes on, we think that they'll know if we go to church every Sunday. And all of those are important. I mean, nobody's here every Sunday. You might have noticed I wasn't here last Sunday. But what's important is that if the culture is going to know that we're the disciples of Jesus Christ, it'll be because of the love that we have for one another. And as we'll see in a moment, that love is not in word, but in deed. In this lesson that we're going to cover today, I'm going to read the whole text for the next few Sundays, but in this lesson, Paul begins his instruction to us by addressing what I'm calling the top button and the top hole. We've used that example before. You get the top button and the top hole, all the rest of them work out pretty good. But if you take this button and put it up here in this buttonhole, you got a problem. Somebody's going to think you've been drinking. But the top button in the top hole is agape love towards one another. We use the word agape which is the Greek word used in the New Testament and also the Septuagint, the Greek word for love. It would be the counterpart of the Hebrew word hesed, and I'm not saying that right, but I'm a southern boy from northwest Florida, and that's the best I can do. Hesed, or you could even say kesed, but that's not correct. Uh, But agape, a lot of us understand the word agape, and we understand that it is the word in the New Testament for love. And so... And we're not going to go any further than the first statement of verse 9 today. Uh, But everything, I think, hinges on that line. So if you would turn with me to Romans chapter 12. And uh, we're going to read starting in verse 1. And if you would stand while we read the sacred scriptures. And I'm going to read again from the English Standard Version. And... I'm just going to read through verse, well, I'm going to read the chapter. He said, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. And so later on, you should read chapter 11 to find out what the therefore is there for. Okay, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. And again, the brothers there is non-gender. It's non-gender. It's just humanity. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, he's speaking of the human body, and the members of our human body do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if if service in our serving. 
the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let me just submit this right here. I don't think that's an exhaustive list. I think he's given us a, the idea here that every one of us have gifts from God, and you might, you might not see yours in that list, but that doesn't mean that it's not valid. Verse 9, let love be genuine. Let's say that together. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute. Now he starts to meddling, so just hang on. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to, to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, everybody say, if possible. So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, he's meddling again, so hang on. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. And do not, here's our title, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You may be seated. Again, I'll remind you, don't get nervous. We're not covering all those verses today. As a matter of fact, the only thing I'm really going to cover today is the very first part of verse 9. Let love be genuine. He, he's, he's talking to us, and he's writing this letter to the church at Rome, and he says, and he reminds them, don't think that you are better than you really are. Now, the, the, the other part of that equation is don't think that you're worse than you are. Because I know some people think that humility is to put myself down all the time. And say, I'm just a sorry, low-life worm, and I'm, I'm not useful to anybody. That's not humility. In many cases, that's nothing but pride. What was that? Sound like a shafar. It's shafar away. It's back there, I guess. Okay. Uh, some of you are too short to hear what I said. It went right over your head. Uh, don't, so don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. And remember that, uh, as a matter of fact, in Colossians, that's what the, they were fighting with the Gnostics is that the the false teachers were telling them to abuse their bodies and put themselves down, and that would be humility. It's not humility. It reminds us that, and of course, we've covered recently 1 Corinthians 12, which is a parallel passage to this. But he reminds us that though we are many, and we're, we're, we're a many here, and we're, we're M-A-N-Y, and we could be considered M-I-N-I, but many, and you talk about the body of Christ, and you talk about the collective body of Christ, or you talk about the body of Christ or the church in Middle Tennessee. We are many. 
but we are we are part of we are many and we are one body in Christ one body we you know we make jokes all the time about how many churches are there in middle tennessee and the answer is there is one one church made up of a number of local churches and local expressions of that church He says, though we are many and we're in the body of Christ, he said, and individually members of one another. We need to remember that while Jesus saved us each individually, we make up the body of Christ with other people. You can't be the body of Christ by yourself. You must be a part of something. And, you know, I've said before, it doesn't have to be a, a building like this doesn't have to be a Sunday morning service, but you need to be part of something. It could be just five or six people gathering once a week for prayer and encouraging one another. I'm fine with that as long as you're part of a, of a group of people because you can't make up the body of Christ by yourself. We are members one of another. In the case of Abundant Life Church, we are individually, you and I are individually members not of this church necessarily, but members of one another. Now, when you look around this room, and of course you see some chairs that are empty, and you think who might be sitting there if they were here today, you think to yourself, I don't know if I want to be a member of them. Come on now, be honest. We don't like everybody. We, we're supposed to love everybody, but sometimes people get on our nerves. I'm probably getting on your nerves right now. And then he points, he says, we have gifts that differ. And this is one of the things that gets us in trouble is we don't, we think everybody ought to be the same and do the same and think the same way. We have gifts that differ according to the grace God has given us. And Paul says, you need to use those gifts. And we're going to come back later in a later session and deal a little bit with the gifts in, in relation to being living stones. But you and I need to, need to, uh, contribute our gift to the body of Christ. And may I say that your gifts often are not Sunday morning. I mean, it's great to have gifts on Sunday morning, but somehow we have corralled the gifts of the Spirit thinking that they only exercise on Sunday morning in a church service. And I would submit to you that it's just the opposite, that we're, well, anyway, I'll come back to that. Now, if we're going to talk about agape, if we're going to talk about love, we must talk about covenant love and so i want to give just a few presuppositions about covenant love we we understand that god is a covenant god god is a covenant making god and he doesn't just say i love you he actually has an action involved with his number one covenant is a bond which god established between himself and his people and between his people and one another a bond. Here's, here's where we get into trouble is we understand that when God puts people together, there's a bond. When we are joined to God, there's a bond. And, you know, God's bond is greater than superglue. It's a covenant. It's a covenant where two parties walk together. We must understand that love, agape love, cannot be reduced to sentimentalism. Now, there's a place for being sentimental. But love, true love, is not sentimentalism. 
It's a bond. It's a joining together with Holy Spirit cement, so to speak. And then secondly, when we are born again, we at that time enter into a covenant with God, excuse me, complete with the blessings and responsibilities. So it's not just that God says, okay, your sins are forgiven and uh, you can go on about your business. It doesn't work that way. But that when we come to God and we go through this supernatural experience of being born again, born from above by the Spirit of God, we actually are entering into a covenant with God wherein he pronounces blessings upon our lives, but he also issues responsibilities to us as his children, as his followers of Jesus Christ. Number three, covenant gives us a sense of purpose and belonging. So if you're joined to God, you belong to God. If you're joined to God's people, you belong to God's people. We inherit God's purpose. And we inherit his purpose for us. We all have purpose. We all have destiny. We all have a gift. You say, well, I don't have a gift. You just don't know what it is. And one of the problems is, is we often, we find ourselves often looking for a gift that is spectacular. A gift that will make the billboards or they won't be on TV to tell about it. And some of the greatest gifts that God gives are those that are in the background people don't even know about. Number four, covenant allows us to walk with one another, thus learning to walk with God. You see, God said, how can you say you love God? John wrote this. How can you say you love God but hate your brother? And the implication there is that you can't. If you can't walk with your brother and sister in Christ, you cannot walk with God. Well, but it's me and Jesus, we don't need anybody else. It doesn't work that way. That's not biblical. Not at all. But he says, if, you, if you're walking in covenant love, it allows you to walk with brother and sister, and thus you learn how to walk with God. It's a similar thing with children growing up. They learn how to obey their father and mother. And if, they, if you will teach your children to obey you, don't make deals with them. <laughs> don't negotiate. It is, it's your, it's, it, you be the parent, not the buddy. I'm really making somebody mad. I hope I can sleep tonight. When they grow up, they will understand how to relate to God. Too many of a generation, you can pick the one you want, are trying to negotiate with God. And God, he doesn't negotiate. Y'all might figure that out. I read, uh, how many of you read the Chronicle, the, the uh, letters, the articles in the Chronicle that pastors write? Well, that's great because I write one. Uh, this week, Pastor Silva from the Hickory Ridge Presbyterian Church, man, he had a great article. And the title of it was, You Don't Need a God Who Always Agrees With You. If your God doesn't disagree with you, you need to get another God because you got the wrong one. Okay, number five, covenant, true covenant keeps us from running away from the very thing that can bring us life. True covenant holds us in place. If you honor your covenant 
When it gets difficult, then you'll find growth. We sang, y'all sang last Sunday, we weren't here. In the crushing, we get the new wine. The crushing is not fun. The new wine is great. But if you run from whatever the source of crushing is, you'll never see the new wine. And covenant, your commitment to God and your commitment to your brother and sister, that holds you in place. You say, well, they're making me mad. Well, get over it. Because the local body is to be an expression of his image in the community. His image. And then number seven, the church is the vehicle by which God chooses to make known his manifold wisdom to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms, Ephesians 3.10. His church, his church, the church, you, the church of Middle Tennessee, the church of Tennessee, the church of the world. We are designed to to uh, demonstrate his manifold wisdom. The word manifold there is a word that means multicolored, multifarious. It means it's, it's, in other words, we're not all singing the same song. We're not all singing the same notes. Someone said to me recently, was asking a question about uh, some variances in the Bible. I think it was on this cruise, as a matter of fact. And I said, well, think about this. Think about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You have four Gospels. And in these four guys, and of course we think Mark is actually dictated from Peter. But anyway, we have four guys reporting the same thing from completely different perspectives. Some of them don't even report some of the same things the other ones do. And when they do report them, you see different aspects and different viewpoints of the very same thing that takes place. So were they in the flesh? No, they were in the spirit. God allowed the personalities of these writers to come through their writings so that we would see the diversity of the situation. It's the same thing with the church. God's not making cookie-cutter disciples. He's taking you with your gift and your uniqueness, and some of you are really unique. And he puts us together and makes a, like a quilt, a fabric, and yet it, we're all different, but individually we're members of one another. I hope we understand that. He displays his wisdom and the full array of his character through the body of Christ. I just quoted myself, by weaving us into a fabric of diversity. That's so important for us to remember. Because we look at the church down the street, we think, well, they don't do it the way we do it. There must be something wrong. I remember when we first started our little church in Louisiana. Well, it started us. I resigned from a church on Sunday morning as associate pastor, and that night my living room was full of people, and I didn't want a church. I was, I was, Anyway... One of the guys, after we had been going a while, and one of the guys, he said, man, I wish everybody else would get as mature as we are. I said, well, you just proved that we're not. That's what you did. Because the diversity of the church down the street, which may not see things the way we do, may not understand things. We may have biblical disagreements, but not the core beliefs. And yet we all make up the fact, not just that you sitting in this room, but we connect with all the churches in the community. 
Number eight, whatever takes place in the universal body of Christ first takes place in the local body. God works it out with people. Everybody say people. So we can't forget that this church is not, the church is not just an organization. We have to be, we don't have to be, but we are an organization so that you can, you can uh, get tax deducted for your contributions. But we're not primarily an organization. We're primarily an organism. A living organism made up of living stones that God has joined together. And so he says in verse 9, let love be genuine. Let love. Now, many of your versions there and several versions will say that we should have a love for one another that is without hypocrisy. Let love be without hypocrisy. And so we're just going to talk about this genuine love for a few moments that that we need to have an agape for one another that is not superficial. I mean this is the this is the hardest thing to do in churches because everybody, you know, comes in here smiling and everything's great and we know everything's not great and you know everything's cool and I love you and you love me and, and yeah okay that's great. Uh, but let's just wait and see. And he says the love, the agape that you have for one another cannot be superficial. It cannot be with, with hypocrisy. I believe, and we'll deal with the other following verses, I think the following verses give us a description of what the outworking of that agape looks like. But suffice it to say that openness and honesty are the bedrock of our being able to live together in the body of Christ. We're all talking about people dealing with people. When you talk about iron sharpens iron, that's relationship. That's people relating to people. And if you don't have a if you don't have a sense of your covenant commitment to God and his kids, then when the iron starts uh, causing sparks in your life, you're going to run for the hills. You're going to go you're going to go find another church. And when that happens there, you're going to run, go find another church. And uh, anyway, that happens a lot. We can be open and honest when we realize that God accepts us. Now I'm going to add on to this, but just hang on. God accepts us in the condition we currently find ourselves. Growing up in the Southern Baptist Church, we sang every Sunday. All what is it? Six verses or eight verses? Anyway, just as I am, without one flea. I mean, without one plea. <laughs> just as, I come to you, just as I am. God does not ask us to clean ourselves up to come to Him. I used to witness to my friends in high school, and they would say to me, "Well, when I get my act together." And I wish at that time, you know, I'm 16, 17 years old. I wish I'd have known to say to them, and I, later on I figured it out, you're never going to get your act together. If you wait till you get your act together to come to God, then you'll never come to God. The only way you get your act together is come to God, and he gets your act together. You know, Jesus told the disciples, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And what he basically said to them was, if you'll catch them, I'll clean them. We understand that in fishing. Well, God does receive us in the condition we're in. 
God loves you in the condition you're in right now. You may be struggling with any number of things. And God loves you and accepts you right where you are. But you know what's coming next. He loves you too much to leave you that way. He loves you too much to leave you in that place. And so he's going to allow the relationships that you have with fellow followers of Jesus Christ to uh, help you grow through the crushing and through the sharpening. I know y'all wish I'd preach some feel-good sermons. I don't know what they look like. Well, I'll come back to that. With this scripture, 1 Peter 4, 8, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Your agape, it's not your hypocrisy that will do that. It's not superficiality that will do that. If there's true covenant love and true agape in a relationship, then it will cover a multitude of sins. And the word there, keep, is the word that's interesting. It it really means to have and to hold. Hold on to your fervent, intent, purposeful agape. You know why it says it that way? Because sometimes that's all you can do It just hold on. You have done me wrong. You have offended me. You have hurt my feelings. But the reason I'm not running is because I'm holding on to my fervent agape for you. And if I don't run, then I can go through the process. If I run from the process, then i got to start over. I don't want to start over. Of course, I did just come back from a Mayberry cruise. But if you watch the Andy Griffith show, and if you don't, that's shame on you. Uh, Pluto TV, by the way, you can watch it free. Uh, you, you will see repeated instances in that series when Barney Fife does a Barney Fife. He does something stupid, does the wrong thing, finds himself in a mess, and Andy invariably, every time, says, bails him out and acts like, you know, Barney's scared of a guy who who threatened him and Andy throws a bag and hits him in the head and Barney falls on the guy and Andy runs down and says, boy, you got him, Barney. You you got him. Why did, why would, you know, why would he do, why would a guy do something like that? Because Love covers a multitude of sins. And believe me, Marty Fife got his share. <laughs> if we have sincere love for one another, not one that we have fabricated to impress someone, our love for one another, our agape, our covenant commitment to one another will get us through just about any difficulty we may encounter relationally whatever it may be. A genuine agape, a genuine love will manifest itself in some sacrificial act. You've heard me use this example. It's the best example I know. For God so loved that he gave. Sacrificial act. He gave, what did he give? 
the most prized possession he had, his son. God so loved that he gave his son. And so agape is always uh, demonstrated in some sacrificial act for someone else's benefit. It's not in just word. You can't, you know, you can't just say, I love you, man. Well, let's find out. Let's find out if you love them. We're finishing up with three main purposes for agape in the New Testament. Of course, the agape only appears in the New Testament other than the Septuagint. And by the way, the Septuagint is when they took the Old Testament and translated it into Greek. And so it, it uh, all of it's in Greek. But there's three main purposes. The first one is agape is used to describe the attitude of God toward his son, toward the human race, and toward those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you'll notice a distinction there between the human race and those who believe on Jesus Christ. He said, first of all, he said, I have, he's praying in John 17, he said, I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love which with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. So he's, he's identifying the Father's love to the Son. Remember the voice twice, at least twice we hear this in the New Testament. This is my beloved Son. This is my beloved Son. In other words, this is my Son that I love, and I am pleased with him. And so God loves the Son. So then he goes this scripture, but God demonstrates his love toward us. Everybody say, that's me. Boy, I tell you what, I should have brought some five-hour energy drinks for me. Anyway, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, while you were in uh, a state of death, the Bible tells us, while you were in an unregenerated state, while you were, the Bible says, while you were enemies of God, Christ died for you. Christ died without any promise of you reciprocating his mood towards you. He died for you while you were still a sinner. So he's showing his love for all the human race. And then this verse he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And we've heard Jesus say that over and over again. If you love me, keep my commandments. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and will disclose myself to him. I will reveal myself to him. Now here's the distinction. The love God can demonstrate to one who is following the Son of God is different from the love he displays for the unsaved human race. Why? You notice the wording, can demonstrate? Because if we don't come to Christ, we don't accept Christ, we make no room for that love of God. There's a love demonstrated already in the death of Jesus Christ. We talked about that during communion. That's already been demonstrated for all humanity. But if you, wanna, if you really want to know the love of God, you only know that when you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And he said... He who loves me will be loved by my Father. 
Second thing that agape does in the New Testament is used to convey God's will to his children, to us, concerning their attitude one toward another and to all men, how how we get along, how we function together. Uh, it's used. Uh, again, can't we all just get along? By the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, just remember, here's here, listen to this part. <laughs> By the work of the Holy Spirit, we can develop a covenant love, agape love for one another that will supersede any natural affinity we might have for someone. We're talking about more than just, hey, that we like the same sports team or we like the same food or we like whatever. It goes beyond that. Have you ever, have you ever met anyone? Have you ever met anyone and within a few minutes there was a connection? And you might not have had anything in common, but there was just a connection of hearts. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. So this verse in First Thessalonians, may the Lord make your love, watch this word, increase. Did, did you realize that your agape, your love for the brothers and sisters in Christ can and should increase? and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. The the love that we have for one another in the body of Christ is not static. It increases. It overflows. How does it overflow? Not in our words, but in our deeds. Also, the agape is used to express the very essential nature of God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. I remind you that God doesn't just have love. God doesn't just love. God is love. His very The, the embodiment of who he is is agape. He doesn't, he doesn't make a decision to love you and me. That's who he is. And he loves us because that's his very nature. The very character of God is he loves us. He, there, with God, there is no abandonment. With God, there is no forsaking. With God, he extends his mercy and grace to us regardless of our condition. And we should obviously assume the same posture towards one another, that we would love without abandonment. We would love without forsaking, and we would extend mercy and grace to one another regardless of the condition. We want everybody to straighten up and treat me right before I'm going to give you agape love. God didn't do that. Jesus didn't do that, and, and of course, we, we shouldn't either. But again, I want to tell you, this only happens by the Holy Spirit working in your life. Because if you don't have the Holy Spirit working in your life, you'll never overcome your flesh, and you'll never be able to relate to people the way God does. You say, well, he's God, and I'm not. Well, that's why you have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's God, and he helps us. But what we have to do is make room. We have to make room in our life for that exercise of his agape. And it needs to be genuine. It needs to be because 
It's in our heart. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. Even when you were dead, because of God's agape, he made you alive. That's the kind of love we're expressing. And I'm going to finish up today. If you've been listening to me any amount of time, and I don't mean this morning, somebody said, well, I listened to you a whole 20 minutes. Anyway, or if you've, been re- if you've read, read any of my books, you've, I've, you've heard this. Uh, it's a paraphrase that I've been carrying around for 40 or 50 years from the W.E. Vines Expository Dictionary. He gets a little deeper in the woods, so I've just kind of taken a paraphrase out of it, but it's the best description I've ever seen of agape. Now, you, when I read this, and we're, we'll probably it'll be on the screen, uh, think of A, how God relates to us, B, how we relate to God, and C, how we relate to one another. Watch this. Love can, on, can be known only from the action it prompts. Well, you can stop right there. The demonstration of God's love is seen in the gift of his son. But obviously this is not the love of complacency or affection. You've heard me say a thousand times that agape love is not feeling. It's not emotion. It will produce feeling and it will produce emotion. But a love itself is not. It's, it, he says it's the action. He, by that I mean it was not drawn out by any excellency in its objects. In other words... God did not look down here to earth and look at you and say, well, I see some good in that one there, so I'm going to extend my love to them. I want to tell you that Romans 5, quoting the Old Testament, says there is none righteous, no, not one. Somebody said, why why do bad things happen to good people? I think it was Adrian Rogers I heard say, well, there are no good people because there's none righteous. No, not one. So it wasn't, it wasn't anything in us that drew God's love out. I know you, I know I just bust somebody's bubble because they thought they were pretty cool, but I'll read on. By this, I mean, it was not drawn out by any excellency in its objects. It was an exercise of the divine will in deliberate choice made without assignable cause except, here's the key, that which lies in the nature of God himself. It was the nature of God who said, I'm going to love the world. I'm going to love you. You did nothing to deserve it. I did nothing to deserve it. And yet God, we said earlier, God is love. God extended himself to us in an act and a demonstration of love because, not because of us, but because of him. Boy, y'all are quiet. Christian love or agape, whether exercised toward the brethren or toward men or the human race generally, is not an impulse from feelings It does not always run with natural inclinations, nor does it spend itself only upon those for whom 
we have some affinity. I read that because I want us to see the picture of agape. Because some of us need to examine how we relate to God. Is he your sugar daddy? Is, is he your, your cosmic Santa Claus? Or is he your Lord? Is he the one who loves you unconditionally because of himself? And so if we answer that question correctly, then we need to ask the question, are we extending ourselves to one another? Here's that one anothering thing again. Are we extending ourselves in the same manner? So I'll love you if. That's not love. I'll love you when you straighten up. That's not love. Agape has nothing to do with that. It has something to do with what um, Mr. Vines uses the word, a deliberate choice. God made a deliberate choice in sending his son. He made a deliberate choice in redeeming you. And you and I make a deliberate choice when God puts us together with someone in covenant love that we walk with them in that. The times get tough. The times get challenging. And yet we come out on the other side together yeah we've been in the crushing yes we've been sharpened by iron by iron but again you find the new wine that way love so over the next few sundays i don't know how many we'll deal with the other verses we'll get into the little meat of the matter but as i repeat myself i think the following verses from verse nine i think the following verses give us a picture of what agape really looks like in practicality and in outworking so, if you'll be patient with me, we'll get there. Stand with me. 